It's the Tiltcast episode 463, Dusty Meat. And this week, guys, we're sans a rusty, but we talk a lot of Elite Dangerous. Justin talks Legend of the Keepers, and we talk some news. Stay tuned. Pew, pew. Ah. And we're back. Short of rusty. Yep, it's the Tiltcast. It's a mature-rated show. I'm Nas. I'm Jason. And there's no Rusty. And with the two of us, you're going to get an indeterminate number of minutes of bullshit. Bullshit. Some games and some news. Well, maybe some news. It's not really much out there, guys. Just saying. I I was telling you, I uh, dropped that can on the way over here, and it started to to well (laughs) up a little bit. I mean, you're wearing some on your shorts. Yeah. Could be worse. Could have food coloring in it. I mean, if you want me to look at your crotch, you didn't have to try that hard. Well, <laughs> you're making me f- I don't know how to feel about that. The table's at a weird angle, and I'm having to sit at a weird angle, and I'm not going to change. Um, uh, all the ways I can make Justin uncomfortable, this is great. Yeah, I... We didn't have. We can't claim full credit for this, but Rusty uh, is getting to be a uh, very irritable. I think part of that is he hasn't seen people as much as he doesn't want to see people. He hasn't seen his family in an extremely long time. Yeah, mostly because of COVID. Yeah, yeah. but his uh, he's got family that's in town right now, um, as of today. Yep. So he is doing that right now instead of recording, and he will probably – is he going to be out next week or the, the two weeks after that? He'll be out for the two weeks after that. So you but guys – we'll have some guests planned, so it won't just be us for three episodes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it was, we'd figure it out, but um, honestly, it's better off that way. You'll get a much more refreshed and uh, less pissed off Rusty – Absolutely. Because, uh, um, holy shit, he needs to see people. Yeah. Um, yeah, he does. But, I mean, it, it's always good to see family. I saw mine last month, so. Yeah. It's always and good. we've been in isolation for a long time, so it's kind of like, it's like, uh, I won't completely compare it to going to war, but it feels, at least the isolation part of it kind of feels like that. I mean, you could almost say you, in some respects, after last year, especially. It's like house arrest. Especially if you're, if the rest of your uh, immediate or extended family lived in a different state during most of that. Yeah. But we've been through in last year. Yeah, you could almost see how maybe some people, uh, some of the families felt you know, during World War II or during Vietnam, just with the absence, the yeah. complete absence well, of hey family. Pity. She, uh, what, baby? What? What? Now I'm getting doggy kisses. Yeah. Rusty's not here, so she can't jump on him. Yeah, Rusty. You know, she looks her asshole. <laughs> that face. <laughs> Doggy kisses. I never even let my dog kiss my face. Yeah. She's been going a lot of places with me. Uh, Gianna was a little bit sick the other day. and Okay. Okay. 
she needed some things, so I ran up there with the dog and then the uh, the rental dogs that she have. Um, I'm just a dog person, so there's not usually dogs that don't like me. So, you know, they wanted to play for a minute and say hello yep. and everything else. And then Lola was just sitting there waiting in the car. And as soon as I got in there, like, she just went ape. Like, I had the dog in my lap as I was driving. I was just like, you got to yeah. get off my lap. Well, I mean, that's indeterminate for all three of us. We're all that way. I mean, even Zoe the Wonder Dog did not like anybody. But a handful. But a handful. Um, yeah, Lola likes everybody. Oh, Lola just loves people and attention. But um, yeah, it's been a it's been kind of a weird week. Uh, taking care of the kiddo a little bit. Jessa left on Monday. Um, I finally got my stove on Tuesday, which has been good now that I can bake things and uh, have a decent burners again. And I start saying it's more about the stovetop. Uh, for me, and I use the oven being, quite a bit. Being able to finish stuff off when, you know, because of how much you smoke. Like if your fire got too hot, being able to pull it off and just finish it in the oven at a lower heat instead of. Honestly, I finish quite a bit in the oven when I'm, if I'm barbecuing something that takes a million years, you only get so much of the smoke flavor. At a certain point, like it starts to turn it bitter. Yeah. And then you're just cooking low heat charcoal, which yeah. literally could just be my oven. Well, and that's part of your problem is a lot of the smoking you do is with charcoal instead of hardwood. I've told you this, I don't know how many times. I got to figure out where to get large amounts of hardwood. Go to Atwoods or go go to Sutherland's and get you a couple bags of hardwood chips. Uh, I will tell you the like hardwood mesquite chips will burn forever. Those two bags will last you a while. Might be an idea. I... And you can just use charcoal as a starter for those. But once those get going, they burn forever. If you remember the first co-birthday we did yeah that grill was hot all night that was that mesquite hardwood that makes sense i that's the thing it's like i think i talked about it last week maybe i didn't i ruined a pork loin oh buddy i was trying to smoke a pork loin i, I guess i talked about it at work i was trying to think what i had and hadn't talked to you about but I smoked uh, a I smoked a tenderloin. Yeah, because it happened while I was setting up elite, so it happened after we recorded last week. Yeah, so I smoked a tenderloin, and I didn't realize the internal temp on that is not the same as what you do a lot of other pork things. Like a lot of things, I was look. I don't smoke or make tenderloin very often, but I was reading even when you were finishing it. Like you're supposed to let it rest at 150 degrees until it gets to 160, and then stop because it just starts to get, dry out yeah. after that. Yeah. I got it in the smoker to uh, 204 degrees, and it had a smoke ring like a tree. But you scorched it. It was a it was like a rubber ball. Yeah. Like I was trying, I was having difficulty slicing it, so I had to get a sharp knife that I'd sharpened recently, and then I sawed through that thing, and it's like this is ridiculous, and. Like, literally, like, meat dust was coming off of it as I was cutting it because it was just, like, 100% devoid of moisture. 
and it was just it was so that, bad. That's that's a fail so hard that your meat turns into a dog food supplement. I pretty much did. I didn't want to <laughs> completely fatten Lola up, but she's been getting a until today she was getting a slice of tenderloin with her dog food. Yeah. And that's pretty much what you got to do. I mean, I did the same thing not too long ago with a big old big old chuck roast, you know. I'm I got a fairly big one, so it was almost like a small brisket, you know. Oh, you know, Reese's is having their meat sale in a few days. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Can't wait. It's a local grocery Can't chain wait. known for having a really decent meat department. It, twice a year they will do a massive uh meat sale where stuff is basically half the price per pound that it normally is. And that includes the good stuff. Yeah. A lot of the time. You kind of have to um, get in on day one to get what you, you want. Yeah, you kind of gotta be there when they open. <laughs> To really get what you want. Um, but basically they do like a lot of your base meat meat items like ground beef and just like chicken like breasts and stuff like that. You can literally fill a bag and buy the meat for the bag. Like the bag has a set price. Yeah, they do like uh, it's like a family pack of, yeah. some, of, of sorts. I'm trying to remember. What grades of meat they have of meat? I gotta now. I gotta think. What uh, for beef? They've got the standard. They've got grass-fed Angus, and they've got dry-aged for Let's beef see. products. Yeah. So basically, their their lowest qualities. I believe most of their stuff is either good or choice, and then it goes yeah. up. They have some prime cut stuff. Yeah. But it's hard to you, – you can't get prime cut steaks almost anywhere, and I don't think they even carry prime cut steaks. But you can get, like, prime cut roast or prime brisket or uh, – They do do prime steak occasionally, but it's usually ribeye or T-bone, and it's usually Yeah, but you're not going to get, like, expensive. Kobe or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, like, they do uh, – a lot of a lot of decent meat, and it's usually, it's not the same shit you're getting at Walmart. Walmart doesn't get better than good, for the um, most part. Yeah, no. Uh, well, they're one of the few, uh, even regional grocery chains, that still has an active, like butcher, uh, butcher in each store. You know, that's not really seen anymore. Yeah, I think um, Walmart factory butchers a lot of stuff and then packages it up and sends it to yep. the store. And I feel like they put some kind of preservative in it. I know somebody who used to work in the deli department at Walmart saying that they would never buy Walmart meat because that stuff is like way older than you realize because yeah. they make it last a really long time till it's mm-hmm. ready to sell. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty much same with any grocery store. Like it seems like when it comes to, let's say, Walmart-branded stores, I mean, the only ones you can really trust are the Sam's Clubs. And that's just because they're actively cutting stuff right there. There's no mass preservative. Well, they're not portioning it out for small portions either. Oh, that's true. 
so yeah. they don't know what somebody's going to buy. They might, they might have a they're store selling come in, in bulk. That comes in and says, I need 300 pounds of beef. Yeah. You know, or 200 pounds of chuck roast or you know, whatever. That's true. And they do have restaurants like on the, you know, on the, uh, on the emergency slide going in there and, you know, buying hundreds of steaks all at once because they, you know, ran through what they got on their trucks or whatnot. Well, I remember when in the 90s, my grandfather owned uh, a restaurant and he would go in there and buy pork tenderloin in mass there, mm-hmm. right? He'd bring 100 pounds of pork tenderloin down for a couple of days Oh of yeah, tamale making, you know? And tamale doesn't have a pound of meat in it, so it's, you know. No. Every it, pound of tenderloin is probably like six or seven tamales. Yeah. Really? Even with the way your granddad makes them? Yeah, probably. I mean, I've seen those tamales. <laughs> yeah, they're. <sighs> yeah, they got some. The, the worth is in the girth. That was the. Uh, that was the slogan I tried to get him to use, but he would not. <laughs> I mean, your your granddad made tamales bigger than I've ever seen. Like, they're basically burritos wrapped in. They're like taquito sized. Yeah. Like right. foot long taquitos. Yeah. Wrapped in corn skin. I mean, come on. Anyways, you said you got a chuck roast. You did you yeah. ruin it or what did you do to it? it so I I did kind of. Um, I ended up the. Uh, I got the smoker going, and of course this was this was my first time with the with the new smoker because I got that. I got the one that has the smoker and grill on one side and the gas on the other. And um, when did you get that? Huh? When did you get that? Uh, a year and a half ago. That's uh, it's very convenient. It is great to have, uh, especially in the summer, being yeah, able to just go know, out, kick the gas on, and throw a couple burgers on, or throw chicken breast on, and just get it cooked. Yeah, I think gas um, is good for that. If you're not going for a long cook, it's makes more sense well when you the reason it's convenient for me me personally i don't love gas i actually prefer the long cook or even cook over charcoal the the taste is better but when you get home after working eight hours and the wife goes it's too hot not cooking you're grilling man i don't want to wait 45 minutes to get the coals good and going, turn the gas on, throw, <laughs> throw, season the bitches, and throw them on the grill. That's all I'm thinking. Um, so it's more of a time saver. So you tried thing. to you tried to make a roast on that? No, I made I smoked the roast, but it was my first good smoke on that side. Um, and I did not. And every smoker is a little bit different, you know. Every smoker gets. They've got their hot zones. They've got their hot zones or they've got their own. um, Each individual smoker has its own airflow and everything. So, you know, it may be different. The the original smoker I had, that big ass one, you know, you could pretty much throw anything in the middle of that thing. And I knew how long it needed to cook, where it was going to end up at, etc. Did you... It's a chuck roast, right? Yeah. And you did big and ass did, massive chuck roast. And you, did you dry it out? Yeah. 
Do you pretty damn bad? Like one side is it? What well, kind of smoker? No. Is it a side barrel smoker or? Yeah, it's a side barrel. Do you have it so, sealed up yet? Huh? Do you have it sealed up yet? Yes. So you got like the sealing tape and all that? Yeah, it's the first thing I did. I was gonna say I've got some extra. If you, it made a huge difference. It, it's first thing I did, but what ended up what ended up happening is uh, because half of the barrel is the gas grill. Right, half of the total cooking barrel is the gas grill. Right, it's a much, uh, it's a much uh, narrower uh, cooking area on a smoker than what I'm typically used to. So what ended up happening was I ended up drying out half of it. It's a weird just, problem to have. Just from, just because I got the firebox too hot. For the amount of cooking space I had, so uh, so yeah, half of it ended up being dog food. <laughs> <laughs> Should try. I mean, you've got one, two, five people in your family, right? Yeah. So you could get like a four pound roast and smoke that and have a couple of meals out of it. Oh yeah, and that was kind of the plan. This was a massive, like eight pound roast. You should have cut that sucker in half. You know, I, yeah, but I really, the, the plan was basically I was, uh, going to smoke this damn thing and halfway through, um, I was going to cut a few good Chuck, Chuck steaks out of it for that night. And the rest was smoking for meals later on. Well, when I went to cut the first steak off. This is dry as shit. Keep cutting. Keep cutting. Dry. Dry. And we're only halfway through cooking. It's already dry. <laughs> Can you put a water pan in there? Huh? You th- like- it, that's the that's the one thing I need. I can there is space for you to the, put So I know this is an audio podcast, but sometimes yeah. on a side barrel smoker, a side barrel smoker means you have a horizontal barrel that has a chamber on the top usually that feeds into the main barrel where your mm-hmm. cooking chamber is and i know on my old one that i tossed that rusted out um i used to take a bread pan and fill it with water like a one dollar bread pan from walmart fill it with water and stick it right in front of that side barrel as it was coming in it had a very small spot where the heat would travel in and that water helped diffuse some of that heat and then also kept it moist in there. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm – because this this smoker is much closer to the size with the barrel – with half the barrel being the gas. Yeah. This is much closer to the size of the one you had previously versus my old massive one. Do you mean the one that I had that was gas that lit on fire that one year? The, no, the, the, the dual, charcoal the, one, the okay, the charcoal the, brand one. Gotcha. But it was at the at the size of the one that I had that was gas and smoker. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, like the overall size of the smoking chamber, the cooking it's like chamber, just barely big enough for a brisket. Is yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you, you know, brisket. There's actually a space. In the bottom of of the uh, of the chamber, with brackets there to hold 
a water pan in. You need to put it a just doesn't. There. It just doesn't supply one. And I didn't think my fire chamber was going to get that hot that quickly. It's the yeah. it's a smoke cast. Yeah, it is the smoke cast. Honestly, like I made a brisket in that one, and Jessa bought this huge ass like full size brisket that she got from Costco. She's got a Costco card for yeah. feeding people at her job in Florida, and she got a full size brisket for like fifty bucks, which is pretty cheap for a full size brisket. I cut that sucker in half, and then cooked it in pieces over two weeks. Like I cooked one, and then fed off of that thing and then I cooked another and fed off of it and oh my god like just yeah. cutting it in half mm-hmm. like a well, it was just me and her and that took us yeah. almost all week well and then the and second week I ended up giving away brisket because I had so much and smoking brisket too is different than like smoking a roast just because you do have that huge fat cap whole hey. huge fat cap that um that helps to protect the meat from exactly what I ended up doing to that chuck roast too. You can, so for poor, um, I call it the poor man's cook, but I do it a lot. Um, that's on the meat cell. I'm going to get a couple of chuck roasts. Yeah. Because I'm going to smoke them. Don't ever smoke a regular roast. I will tell you that is one of the hardest things to do to get it to taste right because it doesn't have enough fat on it. But yeah. Chuck Roast is Chuck. That's exactly why I bought Chuck Roast. Chuck, I already know there's enough marbling in Chuck Roast to get the flavor. That's the whole. That's that's the whole point. Fatty meat's always the best to cook. I, I don't I don't like cooking really really lean meat. No, some people do, and I know there's an art to it, but it just I don't mind cooking lean meat, and I can get it to taste all right. But here's the thing: lean meat has to be marinated. Because there's no fat there. So a lot of a lot of your tenderness comes from that fat layer that's either running through the meat or sit or like in case of brisket is sitting right on top of the damn thing. Yeah. Um so without that, you do have to like if you're doing a round roast or something like that, you do have to marinate it beforehand. If you don't, no matter how you cook it. Whether you pan sear it first and then bake it, or you put in a pressure cooker, or what have you, I don't care what you do to it, it's going to be dry. Dry meat sucks. Dry meat does suck. And with that, and keep that in mind, keep this in mind as well. I also maybe might have lost a, a little bit of track of the time when I was as I was smoking that chuck roast because I was doing it after work one day last week oh. or this week after um uh while still recovering from my man cold from oh yeah the second shot yeah you and uh you and yourself with your uh your covid <sighs> recovery and uh I might have uh, fallen asleep and taken a nap you know, that leads me to our next point. Like most of what we did this week is me and Jason dicked around with Elite Dangerous because we've got Odyssey coming up and we wanted to play something different. There's Elite and I still got some a, money, bitches. I was gonna say, um, have you finally made some progress with your cash? Yes, but as I started making progress, I really haven't played the last two days, so I'm but, like at twenty million right now. 
Yeah, but you are going super rags to riches. Like, yes, Jason spent his last six million on an asp, not the explorer, no. but the almost ten million on an asp explorer, and, and then... everything to set it up for mining. Because none of my ships were made for were set up for mining, and the only what did you what other... did, you had a Type Six and what else? No, I didn't have a Type Six. I had Keelback. Oh, Killback's kind of cool. Um, a uh, vulture, and of course, that old Sidewind- Sidewinder three. Yeah, because when you were playing last, me and you were doing, uh, or not Sidewinder three, sorry, Cobra Mark three. Think me and you were doing bounty runs with our vultures, is what we were doing. Because I had a vulture yeah. too, and I think Rusty didn't get a vulture, and you were as interested in combat as I was. Yeah. Um. Well. Yeah. Totally doing. Imp- Information brokering and pirate hunting in the Vulture. Yeah, which is a good ship. But... Which is a good ship. And at the time, that was a decent way of making money. I mean, I was, you know, making like a million in a night, which was okay. I mean, it was serving my purposes. But damn, mining is rich. Yeah, and so with casual play all week, you've gotten about 20 30 million because you kitted out yeah that ship with about 10 million yeah plus you've made 20 yeah which ain't bad i mean no. it's probably more in a week than you've ever gotten period there's no. probably never been a time that you've gotten that much in this shorter time yeah there was i got to about that when I bought my vulture and I bought all top of the line shit yeah, but for you were it and the cobra, dicking around for like three weeks before you had that kind of money. Oh yeah, yeah, no, totally. That was like three or four weeks worth of gameplay, and I spent all of it buying that vulture and kitting it and my keel back with like all the best non-engineered <laughs> modules I could get. Yeah, so you've been so the key to this, right? is platinum mining. That's the easiest way to make cash. It's not incredibly exciting, but it is no. it's not bad. It's not bad. And if you you know, you can take some time. So like I could have made another ten or fifteen million had the last time I not played I actually took the time to like hit nav points and scan and discover planets and shit. Mm. Well, you're going to get... And take the long way to the mining site. <laughs> but at least at this point, right? So, like, one of the good reasons for you getting the ASP, the ASP has a l- longer jump range, which gives yep. you a lot less jumps. That's exactly why I did it, because the keelback has a horrible jump range. Yeah, and you have to get it engineered to get even close to what the ASP can get naturally. Yeah. Once you can get a, I think it's a 5A jump drive in the ASP, you're going to be sitting around 30 light years. That's exactly why I did. Oh, yeah. So that 15, that 20 million is after I bought a 5A jump drive. Okay. Well, so, <laughs> so, now, so now you jump about 25 million. <laughs> right. So you've got about a five jumps to the mining field and then five jumps back or something yeah, like that. Yeah, five or four. Yeah. Which, in it, reference to time... Instead of nine or ten. Right. Nine or ten jumps in that game is about 
15 or 20 minutes, give or take, for five jumps because of the way – because you're not having to scoop or worry so much about if you need to refuel or not, ends up taking you a little over five minutes. Yeah. So it's five minutes there, five minutes back, 30, 40 minutes of mining, and then you got cheddar. Yep. In fact, the hardest part about mining <laughs> is finding the right rock. <laughs> well, there's that. But then also uh, uh, gauging the the distance to the rock you're at because, you know, the relative size of the rock and, you know, how fast or slow it's spinning. Sometimes it's really hard to find that sweet spot where you can just keep two collector limpets rolling together you know, without them expending themselves. I want to give you a quick tip on that. So what you do is you shoot at the relative to where you're at, shoot at the bottom of the rock and they, the mineral fragments pop off on the bottom and don't rotate as much. And then your collector limpets can grab a lot easier and faster. So you get within like 200 meters of the rock kind of point at a 30 degree angle downwards and just shoot off the bottom of the rock, and then the minerals, even if it's spinning, will still stay sorta down there. And because your collection, your cargo hatch is on the bottom, they just go over there, pick it up, come back. And it's pretty fast if you do it that way. Interesting. I was kind of getting the. So you're trying to sit of, there, probably trying to orbit the rock. I was kind of getting the same result from skimming the top of the rock. Yeah, but to, but your limpet's got to come back but, and may hit the yeah. asteroid. Right, so it's got to go yeah. down and then up yeah. to grab yeah. it, right? Which it's probably knocking it off in a spot where it's not bad, but if you can get the angle to still be the same with your cargo hatch, then it's faster. Yeah. Let me get this. Uh, Let's get the pup. Oh, denoise her, too. Totally forgot to do that. Rusty's going to kill us. So like, why is she clinked? <laughs> you didn't declink her. Yeah, that's... Uh, um. She's got, you know, essentially bells on her because I need to know where she's at. So, but the, uh, I mean, that's, that's been a lot of fun, though, trying to figure all that out, though. And, of I course, who doesn't love money? Yeah, I, I think it's, there's a lot that you want to you wanna discover on your own, but there are some things that are worth taking a guide for. And I think Elite's kind of half and half. Like me not knowing 100% how to mine everything and not watching two hours of videos on how to mine probably made it more enjoyable for me because I found out how I do that best. Yeah. Um, after doing it, right? Like I was trying to figure out the balance of limpets. Now, when you get more cargo bays, because that's a limitation you have on the ass, but it's got big bays, but like two of them, right? It's yeah. like two size six. So you can get you can get a decent amount of ore. No, there's one size six. Okay. So you got 64 spots. Yeah. And, and you could probably kit out some of the other stuff, but it's basically you got 64 shots. Yeah. Um, once you can get up to where, like, you're going to kind of hate me for saying this, but like you could actually make more money in a Type 7. That's exactly kind of where I was thinking. But they're going to be longer runs. So yeah. Type 7 run takes you a little over an hour, and you're not going to be, you can move this frame shift drive, I think. Between the ASP and the Type 7. You look it up and see if it's a 5A. Yeah. Um, and Type 7 costs $17 million, But with the right amount of limpets, you can fit like 192 for your cargo. 
So if you can just filter out and just do platinum mining at 192, your first run's going to net you the same as you get on a Python. It just takes slower. It's slower than a Python for mining right. because it has little bitty hard points. So it takes twice as long as the Python to mine, but it has the same cargo capacity. So you end up like a $55 million run. Yeah. Uh, or space bucks or whatever, right? And that was my struggle, too. I didn't have – I had an ass, but I didn't realize it was a decent miner. So I mined in a Type 6 to get to a Type 7 that did then yeah. get a Python. But the Type yeah. 6 mining, let me tell you, um, it's like a it's like a killback with really shitty weapons because it's two small hard points. Um, but a Type 6 is deceptively nimble because the thrusters rotate. Yep. But that's why I – the um the additional hard points on the Asp Explorer is exactly why I got, bought it instead seven, of going in with the keelback. It's like three mediums and three mediums and four smalls. A lot of people like it because um, you can laser mine so, and you can you can fit it with every single type of mining thing. Yeah. So basically whenever I'm done using it for mining I can just re-kit it for something else. With the amount of hard points that it's got, that's really useful. So that's why I went ahead and spent the money that I had when I started well, to kit it out. Remember, you can field strip that thing in a, in exactly. a and transfer stuff over to other ships because the ASP has similar hard hard points. Yep. Not hard points, similar module size, right? Yeah. So all that to say... So I did kind of the same thing you did, right, for a while until I got the money I wanted and got a good cushion. So I've got a – I've spent a lot of money. I've got a cushion of about $80 million right now. Yeah. Um, but I've spent about $400 million in the last two weeks um, getting different things. So I got a Challenger, um, which I'm still not 100% sure if I don't want to go down to a Chieftain for the extra maneuverability, um, which I may do. And then I got a Crate Mark II. And then I A-fitted that and engineered the hell out of it. And then I went and did the engineering runs. I will tell you one thing that still sucks about Elite is uh, mat grinding. Now, there's some some of the mic grinding for engineering is kind of fun. And that is the material run. So there's if you this is something I absolutely recommend you look up. You basically get the tier four or five material, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then you trade it down. So you fill up on the tier five materials, all of them. And then you trade down to get all the rest because you don't need a hundred of the material to do engineering. Most of the time it's between one and five items. So yeah. I made sure I had at least 15 of everything by getting full cargo bays of every tier four, tier five, and then trading down until I had a significant amount of material. Because I'm not going to – a lot of the stuff I'm going to transfer between ships. So I did that over the course of one day because it's uh, it was 1,800 light years from my spot. Which even with the uh, – I took the ASP out there with an SRV because that's what kind of mining it is. Um, and that still took me 40 minutes to get out there um, with the ASP, with the A-rated – you know, I had 50, 52 light-year jump range on it. And it still took me 40 minutes. Uh, it was a long-ass run. And then getting out there on the planets, each of the different planets that have these Tier 5 materials, it was – the guy that gives the video is a freaking liar. It was not taking me 15 minutes a planet because it varies on if the sm planet's smooth or not or what whatnot. 
So it's taken me about 30 minutes to an hour per planet to fill up on materials. But it's a it's a one-time grind. I'm nowhere close to done with the materials I have for engineering. So I don't have to do that for a very long time. Um, the signal mining, is I call it mining, right? The signal grind. It's basically going to the Jameson crash site and scanning that stuff. And logging out of the game and logging back in and scanning it again. And doing that till you have about 100 items. But you're doing that like... Uh, I did it five times because yeah. then I had to trade it for each of the different categories of signal mining. It's way faster, super boring. And then the last part is uh, manufactured materials grinding. And you know what you do with that is you go to high frequency, high, I don't know, it's the tier five signal thing, identified signal. And you have to go to a specific systems and then look for that signal to see if it's there, then fly out to it. And then you go and you cargo scoop that shit and then you exit the game and then do that again for about 20 minutes uh, times four hours of that to get most of the manufactured materials. And that kind of sucked. So like all week, I did all the suck so that I could get to a place where I could engineer stuff and I could make that crate mark II a fucking murder machine. And. I will tell you, there's a lot of things I learned for the it, elites, I think, is making a comeback, right? Like Odyssey is really going to change a lot of stuff, a lot of people looking forward to it. And so I figure like this is informational. So. Absolutely. I found some things out um, because I've been doing a lot of combat and trying to get better in flying. And there's something really key that I figured out. Um, so head look is usually mapped to right stick click. Um, your lateral left and right thrusters are usually mapped to alternate controls, which would be yep. click left stick, and then I could thrust. Well, I want to combine yaw, so left and right turning, with lateral thrusters left and right. So I remapped it, and alternate controls now are both sticks clicks. I don't want to do it very often. And now it's left stick click to left thruster, right stick click to right thruster. And that it gives me more momentum change with my ship. Um, and it's really helping out with my combat. Um, I'm not to the point of being good with fixed point weapons, but I am to the point of getting in better positions so that I can flank and stay on somebody's tail and everything else. And that crate Mark II is fairly maneuverable. I will say it has a few, at least to me, it's a smaller, flatter target than my Python for combat. It's yeah. not as tanky, um, but it feels like because it's a smaller target, I get hit a little bit less. Um, which means that I can outmaneuver my foes a little bit better and I get hit a little bit less. Um, I rated it so the beam lasers you can get up to 50% more power from um, through engineering. So I have one uh, size 3 overcharged beam laser at 50% additional damage. And I have two medium um, with that same thing on it. And then I've got multi-cannons with corrosive damage and incendiary damage on there. So I've got two large multi-cannons with one of the incendiary, one with corrosive. Corrosive just means the hole takes more damage. Incendiary also affects shields and overheats the ship so it can fire less. With a large beam laser and two medium beam lasers. And that thing is a murder machine. Um, it has been taking out shit that I would have never dreamed of taking out. I took out an anaconda last night, which is was a feat of strength for me because I haven't done it before. 
um, taking out federal assault ships, which used to be like really fucking tricky for me because they have a really tough hull with almost no problem because I can outmaneuver the shit out of them um, and stay away from their weapons. They have some really big hard points and they're super hull tanky. But what I was trying to do is I, I haven't been making any money. That's that's why I'm spending so much. Yeah. Um, I've been doing rep missions for Federation because I want to buy a Corvette. So that's, I may skip Anaconda and go to Corvette, which is kind of crazy. Um, but I'm doing a bunch of combat missions. I, there was a new mission type where you go and you destroy turrets on capital ships, which, you know, if you were going to skip that, granted, I know it's a little bit less maneuverable than the, uh, than the Corvette. But it has firepower. Yeah. Is that new Type 10? Yeah, but it, it maneuvers. It's the worst maneuvering ship in the entire game. It's a turret boat is what it is. Yes. I don't... I you like the turret and launch and launch a fighter wing. <laughs> yeah, so I've seen that, and I can afford a Type 10. Well, I can't want it right now, but I can get to where I can afford a Type 10, but I don't want to fly the flying brick. I would much rather have to pilot a little bit. Like the Crate Mark II feels like a huge, it looks kind of like a huge stealth bomber. It's like a gigantic Cobra kind of. And it, I don't know, the Crate is pretty sick. And it, like I said, I took out an Anaconda last night. That was a pretty big feat of strength for me. It's not good enough to go up against a Corvette. I mean, I, I guess I could if I could fly better. Um, but I'm not at that skill level of flight. But yeah, like all I'm doing right now is I'm just, I want to do combat. I want to get good enough at combat that I feel comfortable taking down a stuff with fixed point weapons because that's kind of where it's at is fixed point weapons for the uh, Thargoids. Yeah. Um, When I played this game a lot, I have a Cobra Mark IV that I had fully engineered out that I was able to take down a Thargoid scout with in about 40 minutes. Um which I found out later was like freaking crazy. Like, why would I do that? But I've seen some people take them down with sidewinders. Um, but they're using fixed point engineered rail guns to take them down. I start saying, or yeah, Gauss and, cannons or something like getting that. Getting lucky on the hits. Well, you have to hit specific spots. Yeah. So you can target with gimbaled weapons or you can get plasma launchers or rail guns to take shit down. And I don't, I don't have the skill for that. Yeah. My next combat ship, I kind of want to get a chieftain. I think you should. That's kind of where... I think the chieftain is uh, that, that's pretty kind, freaking solid. That's kind of where my... Uh, uh, it's the cheapest Thargoid hunter is what they call it. Yeah. that That's kind of... Well, and it's... Aside from the uh, big ships like the, the Anaconda, um, the... Should I say the the fairly shifty Ferdinand or the or the Corvette? It's the well, best firepower bang for your buck. Ferdinand is supposed to be the best medium fighter. It's just it you need to be a good pilot in order to use it. I start to say the Ferdinand is like it's like flying. It literally is flying a boat. Yeah, um, and it takes a little bit more skill. That's why I went with the crate because I knew it took less skill or a chieftain or challenger. Both of the, yeah, 
both of those had the the, the the crate has the best thrusters out of the three. Yeah. The the big thing about the Fertilance and why it's a big Thargoid probably the biggest Thargoid hunter out of the mediums is just because it's got that one class four like heavy it weapon. A, it has the most hard points and it's a a beast of a shield on it. Yeah. So but I, I go you through. gotta be really good at piloting. I will say if you can figure out the lateral thrust with a controller, that made it that made a pretty big difference. Just being able to figure out that was worth me watching some flying videos to watch what happens with flight assist and how your thrusters make you maneuver. And then watching people well, you know lead what... targets a little bit differently. So what I don't want to get too far into the minutia, but basically, again, flight assist makes you rotate on your axis, no matter the direction you're going, right? And so people think, oh, I'm turning quicker with flight assist off. Well, you are, but say somebody comes at you head on, right? And then you use it to flip around. Yeah, that's really cool, right? But a lot of times what happens is they're turning and you're turning and you just end up facing them. Yep. And you continue to hole tank them because you're just flipping around to face them, which is a more defensible position, but you're always getting beat to shit. So there's a way where you aim at an angle to the when, left or right or down of them, and then you use your thrusters and your boost to line up underneath so, them and then just follow them that way, which is crazy. When I was uh when I was pirate hunting in my vulture what I actually did was I keybound my thrusters to my yaw. So every time I turned, my thrusters were going. Sounds crazy, but turn flight assist off and you come around that much faster. I'd be interested to see what that looks like in third person just to see what's actually going on there. I know, right? There's the game um, is honestly this game has the best space flight out of anything I've ever played. Like oh, I played yeah. I played Rogue Squadron a little bit, got through the tutorial mission and got into my first mission, right? The flight in that is nowhere close to elite. It's very arcadey in my mind. Oh, it it's super arcadey, but it's I mean, it's got the right theme. It's got great when, music. It's the guns feel good, but it, like just the space flight on it, it doesn't even come close. Yeah, no. It the thing is, it still uses the it still uses systems similar to what were in the original X Wing and Tie Fighter games. It's just you can't flip around and fly backwards in which it, which were which were revolutionary at the time, right? And they were the only some similarity of, to elites. Is that yeah. you've got lasers, mm -hmm. that you have pips, and you're in space, and that's yeah. that's where it ends. The um, you could. I remember doing it in Tie Fighter. You couldn't fly backwards, but you could actually all stop and come around that much faster on the target. That was great. Yeah, but that's just that doesn't work so well in Rogue Squadron, though. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, it's, you're not playing that with a joystick either. <laughs> I've thought about getting the flight stick. I'm not dropping that kind of money right now. That's why I've I thought about getting an Elite controller because it has the extra paddles, not mm -hmm. realizing that a freaking Elite controller was like $400 right now. Yeah. I have one. My, 
I just haven't broken it out for Elite yet. And you like should try it. Customized everything. You I can, should. Though. You can set the paddles for your lateral thrust. I could. That makes a huge difference having Tis buttons true. for that. I don't know. Tis Whenever true. you get ready and you get yourself a ship that you want to go fight things with, I'm I'm super down yeah. right now. But yeah, I'm totally thinking about. I haven't decided if I want to. Um, if I want to get a Type 7 or if I want to, you know, for continued mining shit because mining is how I'll make money when I'm not out fighting. Honestly, if you If play... I want to do that or if I want to skip it and spend the extra money to go to the Type 9. I didn't. I never got a Type Nine. I was able to. Once you get that kind of money, you might as well get a Python, and you'll make more money per hour. True. Type Seven is decent for because you could either do the. For those who don't play a lot of Elite, Type Seven's a big freighter that's got some puny weapons, and mining requires weapon placement. Yep. So, all that type being said, Scott. Me and Jason have had a fair amount of fun in an open world game that, honestly, the thing that was holding us back and burning us out is there wasn't a good way of making money to unlock everything else. Well, there was. It was staring us in the face the whole time. Well. But we decided it was way too boring at the time. Well, there wasn't a such thing as limpets back then. That's true. Limpets are fairly new. Limpets, limpets are these little drones that you shoot out that grab stuff for you. And it wasn't really much of a thing when we were playing last. And so when you mined, you had to manually scoop everything, which took four fucking ever. Um, shit, I couldn't even figure out how to manually scoop shit when I restarted this whole expedition. Either way, I could not get my scoop in the right spot. It takes some doing. And it's... Shit I'm glad just kept bouncing off of me. <laughs> yeah, right now it's... It's in a place where it's not the barrier to entry is low. It's just understanding what you want to do. The The whole key to elite is finding a, a goal of something that you want to do, right? And so, like, there's community goals right now. The community goal, I did enough to get the first rank of it. So I'd get, it's like an extra 3 million credits. And I can't even remember what you get with it. But you get something else with it, right? As long as everybody's meeting the goal, everybody gets, if you contribute a decent amount. Um yeah. You get some stuff, and then I'm going to go for whatever the next community goal is next week. But I've been building Federation rank for a long time, so I was just like, you know what? I've got enough money. The missions don't pay that much, and I'm not really in it for the money right now. I'm just in it to get the rep I want so I can get the Corvette and then have a variety of activities. So I've been doing these uh, huge ship attacks that I've been doing. I've been doing the pirate hunting, and I've been doing faction hunting. Um, and then the, uh, other one that I was going to do was stealing data from stations, which I haven't done any of those yet. And then black spot, black box hunting, which was the other thing I was doing, which actually isn't that hard. Um, but being, once you're in a mm. ship that's competent, like you don't feel super intimidated by combat. Like I wouldn't feel intimidated by combat unless I was faced with like two anacondas or a Corvette or like three, uh, I don't know, like 
Maybe three vultures would give me room to pause because that's six large hard points. Um, but I just I melt things so fast. It's usually two strafing runs and shields are down. And it's just me uh, taking down hull points by that point. And on these larger ships, I'm just targeting the power distributed with gimbaled weapons, which means I just blow everything up. Like the worst off I got is I got into a high intensity conflict zone where I was being attacked by four ships at once. And there are four ships with an expert rating, and which meant they had, I guessing, engineered shit or harder holes or whatever. For whatever reason, I haven't gotten better hole plating on this. All I did was engineer the light plating to give myself a buffer. Yeah. But, you know, so I've got like 1,100 hell points. So I got beat up pretty bad with that one. But, you know, it's so fast because the engineered type A en engines on it. Like, I can outrun everything, too. So I just like, well, fuck you guys. I'm going to go repair and I'll come back. <laughs> and it's true. It is. And I mean, the, the whole key is, again, what do you want out of Elite, right? Like, if you want a space truck and you want a podcast game, yeah, you can do that and make some decent money. Um, I like getting something more than just the money, though. Like, the mining. Yeah. The mining is well, like the occasional activity I'm going to do. To build my cash storage up, to go spend it again, basically. And, I mean, this sounds crazy, but the Corvette would be getting there would be the ultimate goal just for the way that we play. You could literally do any of our main activities with that one ship. Yeah, the, the only problem with using a Corvette is it requires a large landing pad. So for mining, it would be restricted to spots that have a large landing pad. Also, a Corvette has shit jump range. Even engineered, it has shit jump range. Tis true. So, you but have... you can you can do uh, you could do hauling missions. You know, like we were doing before in our. But it, again, the problem you run into is the shit jump range. Right. But you can do combat on the way because of, well, many, many guns. Yeah. And fighter bay. To to get off the elite kick, it's easy to see that we're having fun with it. Um, I played a new game that came out of early access um, called Legend of the Keepers. I was trying to show Jason what it is because it's really hard to describe, but I'm going to do my best. Um, it's inspired by Dungeon Keeper. So you it's a monster management sim and a dungeon management sim. But it's got a lot of different quirks that make it way different than Dungeon Keeper. So you start off with a boss monster, right? He has his own set of spells and his own set of abilities and stats. And then you're set up with a base amount of and classes of different monsters um, that all can be upgraded. And then you set up with a base level of traps. And it's got three... It's got two ways of defeating a monster. You can either outright kill them or you can scare them away. Yep. The benefits of scaring them are twofold. It's a little bit... It's a little bit harder to do, but there's some benefits from it. So... As they get more and more scared, their stats go down, so to speak. So in the dungeon, what you're trying to do is figure out, well, let me back up. Basically what happens is in every level, 
Um, the game sends three adventurers in your dungeon and has a random tile set for that dungeon. And you've got like five to like ten rooms. And each room is kind of randomized on what you can place there. It can either be a party of your monsters or it could be a trap. Or it could be a hero that you have. So my last run that you didn't see on a much more upgraded villain. Um, I had a hero that had like three times the hit points as my guys did that did way more damage. And he got his own room. So every run you level up your villain. And your villain gets new abilities and quirks and things like that that you can apply towards your little monster team. And in between there's a series of events that you play through. It could be... So-and-so is selling you human blood or whatever, right? And um, that ups your blood count because blood is one of the uh, what currencies. So you got right. blood, tears, and money. And each of those currencies has different effects. Um, so vampires sometimes come by and ask for blood and in turn for blood give you additional money. So you always want to have a little bit of blood on you. Um, the tears go towards special events. Um, and then the money you use to upgrade your dungeon, upgrade your traps, or your characters. Um, but yeah, Tears and Blood are special events or leveling up your main villain. And the, the goal is is for you to last through the whole run to gain experience and unlock the next level. Um, but every level is randomized. It's just got a central theme and central character archetypes um, that play out in each one of these. It's grindy. Uh, but it's fun. It is. Uh, I really like the art style. It's a pixel art style, but it's really high res pixels. Um, not that pixel art's everything. I just, I'm very nostalgic, and I like good pixel art, and it utilizes it very well. Um, but yeah, essentially, what you're doing is you're playing Dungeon Keeper in a turn-based RPG in a random dungeon. So it's kind of like Rogue Light, and your takeaway is experience for your villain, and then if you can beat the level, it's unlocking the next level or unlocking new villains for you to use and new monsters for you to use. Yep. You can replay any level and as many times as you want to level up your main guy. The first level is always the easiest, and the second is pretty hard, and the third is still can't beat the third right now. But I've, I've only put about 10 hours into it. I got an early access last year, not knowing how long it was going to be an early access. It wasn't terribly long, but it, it took me about a year to jump back into it. So I just kind of shelved it. It's like, yeah, I'm going to want to play more of this, but I want to see how they flesh it out. It is a great game to play on your break um, because you can literally pause in between any level, and every level only takes you about maybe five or ten minutes. So you can exit out of the game. Um you know, go dick around with whatever you need to do. And then if you're like me and you got 15 minute breaks from work, then you just go and play that game for a few minutes and go right back to work. And I didn't even want to get up. So it's just like, I'm just going to play it on Steam Link on my iPad for a minute. And then, you know, just put this down, work for a little bit. Oh, it's lunchtime. I guess I'm going to play a little bit of this while I'm waiting on my food to heat up. Yeah. Um, it's simple to play, kind of difficult to master. I know that's kind of a trope. But it, it really is like it doesn't require a lot of explaining. It just requires you to get used to what each monster can do and how they synergize with each other. There's no monster that's useless. Um, every monster gets a lot better at level two. 
but you can only level them up with gold. So that's something to keep in mind. Like, don't overspend your gold. Don't forget to upgrade your traps. Um, the main villain, when you first start off, actually has a really good setup for fear. So if you can set up parties to help distribute fear, um, they can be very weak by the time they get to the boss monster, if not already running away. Yeah. Um, and that is a 100% viable strategy is to scare the adventurers away. But it's kind of funny having the different nods. Like there was one of the dungeons I was doing and it said, oh, we've decided to make this more accessible to adventurers. So we've added a rest area to each future run, which meant that they heal up the morale in between battles once. So that also means that I'm not going to do as much. If I've got a really good fear team, I'm going to put them after that campfire so that I can make sure that I do the most that I can. But it also means I'm probably not going to scare anybody away. I'm just using the fear as a debuff. Right, right, as a debuff before they get further in. Something to remember is that the adventures are meant to be more powerful than your monsters. If you're able to destroy a monster in the first wave, like, you're probably a little overpowered. Um, Your level one characters have about 90 health to 120 health, where the level one adventurers average over 300, and your veterans level around 5 to 600, so... Well, I mean, it wouldn't be uh, a challenge if that weren't the case. But some of the monsters, when they die, also have additional effects. So, like, one, when he dies, applies haste to your villain and the next party when he dies. There's some that come back to life as skeletons, which is kind of cool. Like, there's, I think it's a necromancer. Right. You kill him, and then skeletons come back up. Um, some of the other things you earn, you like earn artifacts, and there's one that's a 25% to spawn a skeleton anytime somebody dies. There's another artifact that applies one stack of burning damage per character death. So you can kind of set yourself up in a way where you have a cascade effect as they go through and kill monsters where they're getting weaker and weaker, regardless right. of the fact they're killing people. The fun part there is just, I think, building as impenetrable of a dungeon as you can. Right? Yeah, it's you don't know what your characters are going to have, so like you don't want to limit yourself to just the base level team size. Right. You want to give yourself four or five or six that have kind of an interchangeable build so that you've got like, maybe want a team that synergizes with poison, or maybe want a team that synergizes with fire really well, or maybe want a team that synergizes with fear really well. And so you set yourself up with two or three builds that you can do with each room. And then when it comes to planning phase, then you see what you got. You've got a little a little bit of tools in your chest to figure out how you want to distribute it out. But you're never going to know before you go into the into the next level what the heroes types are going to be and what the resistances are going to be and what kind of champions they have and any of their stats or resistances. Right. So it's, I don't know, it's just a puzzle. Right, and it's a really fun one at that. It's it's a pretty unique game. If any of this sounds neat, like I would watch a couple of Let's Plays and see if it's something you like. I, I like it so far. I don't know if it's my game of the year by any means, but because the type of game it is, I could see myself sinking 30-plus I mean, hours into it. It doesn't have to be a top five of the year game to be fun, and that's... 
Well, I can tell you right That's now, something I was looking forward to is the, I've talked about it now, it's the third week in a row of Murder on Eridanos with Outer Worlds. Yeah. Well, there's a bug that I don't know if it's been patched out yet where that game just does not run huh. after a certain point. Super looking forward to it. I really like my time in Outer Worlds, but with that bugging out and not letting me play any further, I'm just at a point where I was like, all right, well, Outer Worlds, I'm on the point of uninstalling you if you don't get a patch soon to save space. So... uh I'm going to play other things, which is where Elite came in, and I found out I still like playing Elite. And then Legend of the Keepers came out. I was like, I really like playing both of these games quite a bit. So I haven't really been that bored this week. Nice. But I mean, it certainly looked like fun. I think, not... I think it's a pretty cool little game. And I don't know that it's that expensive. And... I think it's on sale right now for 15 bucks. And I know uh, a lot of it's pixel art, but I got to say, a lot of the sprites really look cool, <laughs> at least from what I saw. But anyways, I think we ought to take a break. Down for that. Let's so. take a break and we'll be back. back woohoo you know i I realized we never said what day it is it's actually may 1st it is started. may 1st because rusty wouldn't hear me and jason actually started a little bit early we did it's kind of great yeah i mean we're gonna be done by probably before 10 30 before midnight <laughs> yeah, before 10 30 we're gonna be done about the time we normally start <laughs> that's great I don't know if Rusty's physically able to do this this early. I know, right? He tries, but more often than not, fails. But that's okay. We know Rusty is on a completely opposite schedule from ours. Literally the exact opposite. Midnight is noon for him. Yep. He usually gets up at like, what, 6.30 for work at 7 or something like that? Yep. And then only has to do that a little bit. Um, there's some things and stuff with news though that we thought would be newsworthy. And, um, one of the things is Halo Infinite's kind of hotly anticipated. I'll, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm looking forward to it and I'll get it as part of Game Pass, but it's going to have PC and console cross save, yep. which is cool because when I eventually get the new Xbox, whatever I've played on PC, I could transfer over to that. Um, and I think that's pretty cool because there's not enough games that do that. And honestly, the only other game I can know of that I've played that does that is State of Decay 2. You can play it on console and literally pick up where you left off on PC. Um, obviously, you have to have it installed on both, but it is a really cool feature for who I want to play with. Do I want to play with somebody who's on PC or I want to play with somebody on, on console? Now, I've tried, never tried it with cross-play between PC and console. But I will tell you that when you're on the Xbox app on your PC, you can get in party chat with pretty much anybody you want, um, which is kind of nice. Um, but that was one thing. I know you had some interesting things that you were talking about um, while we were on break. Uh, I, I did. That? So an um, interesting thing announced just a couple days ago. 
Um, adding to uh, uh, adding to possibly adding to some of the pressure on Valve um, as, as far as uh, it being a distributor of games. Um, similar to what Epic did with their uh, payout percentages. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Because um, uh, Steam's, what, 30% got cut until they make $50 million, right? Right. And then Epic is what? Uh, uh, like 16% or something like that. I want to say it's... It's crazy low. It's, I don't think it's even 16 but anyways, what's Microsoft's now? So Microsoft is reducing its cut from 30% to just 12%. Uh, through the Microsoft Store. So games sold through the Microsoft Store, the publisher and developer will be getting, what, 18% more of the cut? That's quite a bit. So, I mean, that's that's pretty huge. But it also reinforces, uh, um, it kind of reinforces what Microsoft has been doing uh, the last few years as far as moving to make uh, the gaming portion of their business a true focus and really making itself a service for gamers. Yeah, that's the same as Epic. So here's the thing about Microsoft's game store. I have only ever bought Minecraft on the Microsoft PC game store ever. Um, it's because it's it's a dumpster fire. There's a mix of like free and shareware bullshit apps and like things that don't even make sense to be on there. Like there's not, it may have changed, but it's not like, doesn't feel user friendly in the same way as even Epic does versus steam. Like it's nowhere close to steam and it's yeah. a shadow of what Epic is. And Epic's kind of a shell of what steam is. It's just, it's one of the worst experiences for purchasing a game. Honestly, the, only good thing they have going right now is Game Pass on PC, which is pretty easy to look through. But the actual store for shit, like, it's just, it's awful. Um, it looks like a throwback to a website, like, 10 years ago for, well, it's, it's just the Microsoft store. So it's like you've got, like, Notepad Plus, and then you've got Nino Kuni or something like that, right? Like, it doesn't, it's, yeah. there's not good filters in it. And then you get, like, really random bullshit games in there that are just part of, like, apps and not games, right? And then you got, like, proper games in there, too. And I, do, I don't see why anybody would want to... Yeah. And, I mean, this announcement was um, shortly following other, other announcements by Microsoft uh, regarding a complete overhaul of the store uh, to put a, a largest, larger focus on the... Uh, the gaming portion and better filters, etc. I'd be curious um, to see it. I, I saw that part of the th section about the twelve percent cut going into effect August first. Yep. So maybe after the summer we'll see a re overhaul of the Microsoft Game Store to make it look cleaner. Yeah, they haven't said a for sure launch date as far as the overhaul goes, but it it they did say it is coming this year. Well, that was I. I found another story while you're talking about it because I was looking for the sales cut number, and it said it went into effect on August first. Yeah. Um, 
Well, goes into effect on August 1st, yeah. Going to a retraction I have from last week, as uh, Nymph was quick to point out on Twitter, um, the actual number of sales refunds was somewhere closer to two million on C on a I was gonna say CD project on, on Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. Yeah, I still couldn't quite get the two million number, but I was seeing somewhere closer to about a million. <sighs> the thirty thousand refunds was specific to direct refunds they did, not to purchases on PlayStation Store. So I guess there was a significant portion of PS4 titles that got refunded. That when got, got refunded. That got removed from the store. That and makes it, sense. Oh, and I, I could see sense. that based on the state of the game on PS4 and uh, especially launch PS4. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That so, makes sense. Not afraid to be um, wrong. <laughs> another bit of uh, news that's more directed at hardware. Um, Oculus, the uh, now semi-evil branch of Facebook. Uh, and I only say that because Facebook is evil. Um, is releasing a new software for the Quest 2 that will allow it to play wirelessly over Wi-Fi from your PC. That's interesting. So instead of uh, it wholly being a phone VR headset, uh, will now be playable on PC. Now, it's not that expensive is, a kit either, is it? Well, both the Quest 2 and the uh, uh, Rift S are two ninety nine. That gives me pause because I could shell out two ninety nine and a couple of paychecks. Right. Um, Granted, I just bought a stove and I need to pay that off first because I, I had to throw. Which, it in my of course, card. is a um, is a bit down. And if you can. It, that's basically the price that you can whenever when you can find them. I mean, they don't come available often, but when you can find like a refurbished Rift headset, that's that's what you buy a refurbished Rift headset at. If I remember right, that was like a four ninety nine entry, right? It was. So, is you it know, the two hundred dollars two Quest two, um, and then the Rift S is basically a wired version of the Quest 2. Um, all onboard headset tracking. There's no external cameras. So even if you get the Rift S to wire to your PC, because you don't, let's say you don't necessarily trust your Wi-Fi network to be able to stably handle VR streaming, um, then which I probably wouldn't because of the amount of Wi-Fi devices in my home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it only requires the one wire now from the headset to the PC instead of having that plus, you know, three at, at minimum three wires uh, for cameras plus the wire for your headset. So it's okay. Say it again. Quest two and what else that doesn't need wires? Rift S. No, Quest two is the only one that's wireless. And then Rift S only requires one wire. One wire. Yep, from your headset to the PC. That's it. Hmm. 
because all the cameras are mounted on the headset, just like your old Asus headset that Lola destroyed. Yeah. Just a quest too. I wonder what a Rift S costs. Two nine nine. Really? They're both the same price. Rift S. See, that's where Facebook cut down the cost on the on the headsets was not no longer needing the external cameras. The Rift S is out of stock, so now it's pushing four hundred dollars on a lot of sites. Yeah, that's just simply because stock's waning, though. Get it used for two fifty on eBay. So if you can find the Rift S on in stock somewhere, that's probably still your your better headset for PC gamers. But the Quest Two having the the beta feature for the for over Wi-Fi, not necessarily a horrible option. No, it's not. I I really here's what here's what it's boiling down to. I really want to play Elite in VR. Right. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, it could actually really work well for you because you don't have that many Wi-Fi devices connected to your network at one time. No, it's usually just my phone. Yeah. So I mean you could uh you could really get that to work for you. Yeah, I was looking on Newegg. Newegg doesn't have them at a normal price. Newegg's weird. Sometimes Newegg has stuff at the regular price, and then sometimes it has it at a weird price. What I mean by weird is inflated. Right. Um yeah, that's not the right price. Rift S is out of stock just about everywhere except for yeah. that's weird. So, but Quest 2s are in stock. So, I'm just wondering what the resolution difference is between the two. And it says, you know, you've got a Quest 2 with a 64 gigabytes of storage and one with 256. Well, it's got the onboard storage because of the mobile applications. Yeah, but I wouldn't care about any of that. I know. But I'm just saying that's why it's there. Okay, so what was your next story? So, and then uh, the only other thing I could really drudge up that was of interest is uh, sometime this year, uh, hopefully sometime during summer, uh, though it hasn't been officially announced, um, the new Chromium-based uh, Edge browser will be coming to Xbox consoles. And the reason this is important and it's applicable a, for us. And it's not Edge? It is Edge, but Edge is Chromium-based. Oh, I see. I, I got what you're saying. All right. The reason this is important is because you could use the Edge browser to stream your Steam library directly on the Xbox. 
That's interesting. Without doing the funky uh, remote viewer, which won't work with your PC unless you have a Bluetooth adapter on your network board. Interesting. So, I mean, that's... That'll be pretty big, especially for our applications. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Big. It will be big for me anyway. Yeah. Gives Quest. me more screen options. <laughs> you know, a Quest 2 has a higher resolution than a Rift S. That's insane. Probably. And, higher, and higher refresh rate. Probably depending on your. Uh, your medium though and how it's getting there because isn't the quest to uh it's at 90 hertz refresh and it connects to your pc using a usb-c cable but it's a 79 dollars accessory that's not horrible i'm just now i'm super interested because it's not bad that's not bad at all and then with the new software if you'd never want to plug in the cable uh you could stream it over wi-fi yeah that's not horrible at all and again just 299 that's just crazy i'm sorry for the pregnant pause but it just looking through that i wonder if i could get it even cheaper right I mean, I'm sure you can find it on sale somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to keep but, my... If I see that on sale, I'm probably just going to snag it. I mean, you look at that barrier to entry versus the $1,000 barrier to entry for I the was, index. I was thinking about saving for the next three or four months to get an index. And now I realize that, like, literally next paycheck, if I wanted to, I could eat a little Get bit. a Quest too eat cheap for a paycheck and just get a quest and then have elite dangerous in VR and have VR again. And I could just put the headset. Well, Lola's Lola's not nearly as chewy as she was back then. Right. So, ah, oh man, that's just blows my mind. Anyways, I don't have, <laughs> I didn't realize I was going to get you off that, on that much of a tangent. Yeah. With that, I think we're about at the end of the show. Do you agree? I mean, yeah, there's not much else it's, as far as news, guys. I mean, we're going to have virtual E3 in the next few weeks. Um, you're going to have the Steam Summer thing, and they're going to try to like do it kind of similar to the virtual E3 experience yeah. as well. And I think a and, lot of that is people don't want to release any news before a big showing. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, Epic's going to be doing something too in the next couple months. So, you know, there will be plenty coming down the pike. Um, plus, Microsoft's virtual event is supposed to extend outside of virtual E3. So, they'll be doing more than just what's at E3. Yeah, I think um, maybe for next week we can start looking to see if there's, or this month we can start looking for E3 rumors. Yeah. To confirm for E3. But I just, this is going to be a super weird summer for game announcements it It is because everybody's gonna be trying something new because the country's still kind of in shutdown mode and there's you know getting permits and everything even if by the summer 
a lot of places are open or mostly open. It's not going to be the same. And they'd still have some policies that keep people from congregating in an area. Yep. So yep. regardless, it's going to be a virtual event this year and we're not going to see a regular event, I don't think, till next year. No. I mean, if we do see anything, there's still tentatively um, a couple of PAX Expos that are tentatively scheduled in September or October. Yeah, you've got that, PAX Australia and PAX South. Um, that haven't uh, yet been rescheduled because I think they're just waiting to see what the temperature of the room is. <laughs> Literally. Um, but uh, um, so far, yeah, no big, uh, no big indoor conventions yet. So, well, Jason, where in the hell can you find us? Find us at tiltcast.com. Find us on Facebook and twitter.com slash tiltcast. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash real tiltcast and search for us on iTunes and Spotify. Find some friends of the show. We've got For the Love of Gaming. Um, we've got NoQuarters.net. We've got Cabbage, KBG. We've got BMFCast.com and TVGP.TV. Um, they play a lot of video games, and they are a one-hour show. And with that, it's the end of our show. Peace.